see. Okay. So hopefully this works. It worked yesterday, so I'm going to assume that it will today. We're going to look uh, again, like I've already shown you all this, but look at that magic. This very last, so this one right here that, that we're going to do, the second part of that, which is the Writing Strong Claims one, which when you open it up, you'll see that it's a, there are two slides that it shows in there. I'm going to just pull up the slideshow because it's the same thing. And then we'll talk about the bottom one, the Slaughterhouse 5 essay or creative response. You can do one or the other. It doesn't matter to me. If you choose to do the essay, I have a hard copy of the PDF that's on there right here if you want it. It looks just like the other ones. You have a lot more options for this one. If you want to write the essay, you can, there are, what, six different prompts you can choose from. So there's a lot more going on. But if you want to do the, the creative one, I'll go over that in a second too. Um, okay, so here's what's going to happen for this. This is the writing the claim, writing strong claims. This actually applies for anything. It doesn't just apply to Slaughterhouse Five. Obviously, we just happen to be going to write. A, you guys are going to write about Slaughterhouse Five, so that's why we're going to go with this one. But, so here's what's going to happen. You, if if you are in the classroom, which all of you are, but if you're listening at home, you may not be. It says to work with a partner. If you're if you're fully remote, then obviously you would be working by yourself. If you're not here in school on Thursdays or Wednesdays and Thursdays, then you'll you don't have to work with a partner, obviously. But since you guys all are, this is I'm going to show you this quick little video about writing a claim. Again, this applies to any writing, essentially. So a claim. Well, I'm just going to let him talk. Well, this is like cheesy animation that I did not make. I just found. And I'm just going to play it for you. Then we'll talk about it afterward. Then I'll, we'll talk about how it applies specifically to the last three chapters of this book, and honestly, any writing that you do. So, um, let's see if this works. There's actually no speaking at all. Way too loud. Okay, so I'm going to slow this because he goes really fast. So claims are not obvious, right? That's what he said. Uh, let me go back a little bit. Um, a claim is not an obvious statement, right? I mean, we already know that. Like, don't say something that's complete. Like, don't make the claim alien. I mean, that uh, Billy Pilgrim may have been abducted by aliens. Well, I mean, if you read the book, you know that. There's no point in telling me that. I've already read. I know that. that that's just wasting both of our times, right? Also, not a personal opinion. I keep, uh, for many of you, well, I don't know if it's anybody in this class, but if you're using the first person pronoun, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to mark it, don't use the first person pronoun. We're not writing personal narratives in this. Like, that is, there is a place for that. That's just not this. These are literally literary, literary analysis papers. So you should be speaking from the third, por third person. Therefore, there should not be a personal opinion, right? You can say, based, I mean, uh, you know, Billy Pilgrim is crazy. You know, and then give me the, this, the evidence from that from the book, that's fine. Or, you're, I mean, you would say it better than it, obviously. But don't say that Billy Pilgrim scares me and I don't want to be around him because he's crazy. I mean, that's a little bit more of an opinion. That's, t that's telling me your feelings. It's not sort of trying to make a claim about him as a character. Does that make sense? Quentin did make it. Let me write his name down. What is this? Oh. Hey, Quentin. Hey. How are you? We're talking about pers uh, writing claims. It's a cheesy animation, so. So, no personal opinions. 
be specific. Believe it or not, the more specific you are, the easier it is to do this. When you make a general, I mean, you know this, when, you make an, when you're in an argument with somebody, if you say something super general, how do you prove that? Right? You have to be specific. Think about it like that if you're arguing with a friend or with your parents or whomever. You have to be specific, otherwise they don't know what you're talking about because it's too easy to, to not know what you're talking about if you're trying to talk about everything, right? Be very specific. That's very specific, right? Just because those claims are specific doesn't mean you have to agree with them, right? They're just very specific. And what that does is tell you exactly how to support that claim, right? You know the evidence you have to pull to, tell, to make the reader either believe or not believe that. It's very specific. It does the work for you. I just said that. Okay. Oh, I missed it. I was going to ask you what you thought. Let me go back. Uh, God, it goes too fast. Is, if cyclists want to share the road, they should, ride, they should ride faster. Is that a good claim? I mean, it does say no. <laughs> no, it's not. Why is it not a good claim? Can you prove that? No. Is it even possible? I mean, bicycles can only go as fast as they go, right? Like, they're not going to go 70 miles an hour. That's just not going to happen. Like, so it's, an, it's not a good claim. You're, if you're, and if you set that up as a claim you're trying to prove, you're just making your job way harder than it needs to be because you're not going to succeed, right? Good claim? How would you prove that? Brayden, how would you prove that? Can you prove it? No, why? It's an opinion, absolutely. For Alyssa, hamsters might be better than cats. For, you know, Isabel, they may not. I mean, hamsters eat cats. They kind of trump them, but, you know. I mean, cats eat hamsters, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not. It's an opinion. It's absolutely an opinion. There's no way to prove this. There's absolutely no. You can, you can prove, me that, prove to me that it's your opinion. Okay, but that doesn't prove that it's true, right? They're two different things. Okay, so is that a good claim? In order for teens to get the maximum amount of sleep, uh, get maximum amount of sleep, of sleep needed, schools need to start at 9.30 a.m. rather than 7.40 a.m. Is that a good claim? Why? Because Yeah, because you know exactly what kind of evidence you have to have to s convince someone. Could it be an opinion too? Absolutely. But in this case, it happens to be a good claim too. Because I mean, the claims that you write should point you in the direction that you're going to go to prove that claim, right? Otherwise, you're just sort of floundering. Let's hope, hopefully, he agreed with me. I don't know. I didn't look. Yes. So that would be the proof, right?
the end. I know that was cheesy, sorry. But it, it, it encapsulates a lot of what you need to do in anything that you write, honestly. Um, so remember, when you're using, when you're writing this essay, or I mean any essay, when you make a claim about something in the piece you're writing about, make sure you can prove it. Otherwise, it's just your opinion. And unless it's an opinion paper, which is, th th that's the thing, then, I mean, it's not going to be something that you write in this class. But unless it's that, then you're going you're gonna to have to support it with something. Whether that's research, like for a research paper, next year when you have to do your, whatever they call it, senior project paper, which is like a long paper, like 10 pages long, you have to have all this research to support your claims. In this case, you're using evidence from this book to support your claims. Unless you're using the creative option and then all this goes out the window. But, you know, okay. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna work with a partner, and luckily we have an even number, so I don't care who you work with. I'm gonna give you just a few minutes. This is just practice. You will submit it. It's just a participation grade, but it's practice. So what I want you to do is, let me go back to the first one. Work with your partner, answer the following questions, which we already did. These are all from chapters eight, nine, and 10, which we did last week, or the be yeah, last week. Um, and then propose a claim based on that question. Okay, I have the page numbers. If that helps, I'll let you know what those questions are. But so. Or you, can just do your, you don't have to do this as a partner. If you want to pull it up, you can do it right now by yourself. Or if you want to work with a partner, it doesn't matter to me. What do you guys want to do? <laughs> You're so quiet. Okay, so let's just do it this way. Let's just talk about it. And then if you want to type it up, you can type it up and submit it later. It's not due till Sunday. Okay. So for this one, this is from chapter 8. What does Trout's story about robots say about the bombing of Dresden? So how would you answer that question? Remember, we talked about this last week. Do you remember the story? about the robot with bad breath, right? So what did, what, did this, what, did we, what did we say that it says about the bombing of Dresden? So we, we talked about the robots with bad breath and how people didn't, they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't object to the fact that, the, that these robots were dropping jellied gasoline on humans, right? What they objected to was to the fact that they had bad breath. Once they had that taken care of, then they were like, oh, you're cool, right? So what does that say about the bombing of Dresden? Remember Kurt Vonnegut was on the ground in Dresden was bombed by, as far as he could tell, like uh, unseen, unknown aggressors, right? They just dropped bombs and went away. So what is the, what is the comment that he's trying to make about that, that bombing? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? For the people on the ground, obviously. Is it an easy thing for humans to do to each other when you don't have to actually interact with those people? Absolutely. It's much easier to hurt someone when you don't have any contact with that person, right? That's why it's so easy to make you know, nasty remarks online because you don't have to see that person. <laughs> it's not a real, it's almost like it's not even a real person, right? So if that's the answer, if the answer is the bombing of Dresden um, only could happen because there wasn't a personal connection between the bombardiers and the people on the ground, that's just one answer. How would you make a claim for that? How could you turn that into a claim if you're using it in, this, in an essay? Think about it for a second. Any ideas? So remember, we want it to be specific, something that you can prove with evidence that's not based on opinion, right? So you could say something to the effect of Kurt Vonnegut, who's the author of the novel. You wouldn't say that part. Um, uses the story of the robot with bad breath to let the reader know that it's much easier I mean, you would, you would clean this up some. It's much easier, right, for uh, 
bombardiers or plane, you know, bombers to attack c civilians when they don't have a personal connection to them, right? You could use that story, you could quote from that story, which is what you would do, to support that, right? Here's an example of this robot who does these horrible things, but people are, are fine with it, as long as they don't offend them personally with their bad breath, right? That's, that's, a, that's you know, you would make it prettier than that, but that's the idea, right? You can pull this evidence out of the story to support what you're saying. Okay, and then there's a blank page. You can type in whatever makes sense to you. Number no, chapter nine, these all go together. So um, what, might, what might Billy choose as his happiest moment? You remember he chose laying in the back of that wagon, right? Why? We talked about perhaps because nobody was asking anything of him, right? That was the one time in the book, and granted we only have this tiny little window of his experience in the world, the one time in the book when nobody's asking anything of him, right? Second part of that, what's, what is the only thing Billy cries about in the war? It's the same scene, he cries about the horses, right? Because of the condition they're in. He didn't, they weren't paying attention to the horses. And what's the epigraph of the book? Uh, Away in the Manger, he talks about there are many things about which you could cry, but he doesn't cry about all of them. So how would those go together? Do they go together? What do you think? How would you make a claim about Billy? What kind of a person is Billy that you could support with something from the book? Does Billy, is Billy an emotional person? No, he's not, right? But he does choose to be emotional in this one instance, right? So could you say something like Billy Pilgrim, um, although he experiences many examples, many, many, and this is just off the top of my head, although he experiences many situations in which it would make sense to cry or to be upset, right? Chooses to only react to certain situations. I mean, that's, that's a little vague, but be more, more general, right? What does that say about him as a person, right? Is he actively trying to not react to the world, or is it just his makeup? Is that just how he is? Right? We don't really know the answer to that question, but think about that. How would you make this into a claim that you could prove? You could prove by talking about any of those questions or anything else in this book. What do we know about Billy Pilgrim? How is he as a person? He doesn't make connections to anybody, really, right? Even to his own family, he doesn't particularly make connections to them. Um, but th this one horse is the one thing he does make a connection to. So what does that say about him? Why does that, why is that? Is it, is it because that was the moment he chose as his happiest, right? And then he, this, even in the midst of that, right, in his mind, this is my happiest moment in my, in my life, right? There's this suffering that's going on right in front of him that he doesn't even see until someone else points it out. Is that why? Maybe, right? He's surrounded by suffering in his entire life, but he never reacts to it. Maybe has it ever been pointed out to him? I don't know. So think about it. How would you ask that question? How would you make that into a claim? Billy Pilgrim goes through his life surrounded by suffering but never notices it. Right? Therefore, that's why he doesn't react. That's why he doesn't show any emotion. Could you prove that? I think you might be able to. There's, a lot of, there's, there's lots of stuff going on in this book that would speak to that notion. Right? So think about it. Okay. One more. Again, there's a blank page for a claim. And then finally, we talked about this one too. This is from the last chapter, which again is from Kurt Vonnegut's point of view. What does the bird say to Billy Pilgrim? He says, Poe tweet, right? Just the sound that a bird makes. Why? So we talked about how um, the world goes on. Like even though in, in the midst of this horrific act, the world goes on. Nature goes on. Nature, honestly, on some level, doesn't even acknowledge it. It just hap keeps happening. Now, how would you make that into a claim? 
One of the things you could do is go back to the beginning in chapter one when Kurt Vonnegut talks about what you can write about a massacre, right? He says there's nothing intelligent to say about a massacre. So could the claim here be something just like that? There's nothing intelligent to say about a massacre, right? There's lots of examples in here of sort of the ridiculousness of the world in the face of pretty horrible things, right? So how would you support that? You could talk about that quote when he specifically says there's nothing, there's nothing intelligent to say about a massacre. He also, in that same quote, he talks about how he's forbidden his sons from participating in any massacres. Right? You can see, you can talk about how the people on the ground in Dresden react, how he reacts. I mean, there's lots of ways you could pull in evidence to support that. Okay, does that make sense? Silence doesn't answer. Yes, no, yes, yay. And there's a blank page for that, okay. So that's just for practice so that you'll get an idea of how to do these claims, right? Again, these will apply to any situation, any book, any, any um, essay that you write. Same thing, you want something that's not an opinion, it's not general, that's specific because it will make your job easier. Keep that in mind. And that's just some little bit of practice. Okay. Any questions before we talk about the essay itself? Yay. Okay. Let's see. Uh, you want to talk about the essay first or the creative option first? We'll talk about both, but I don't care. Okay, what's the next tab I have up? I have the creative op option up, so I'm going to go with that one. This is, um, so you can choose to do this instead of the essay if you want to in this case. In this one, because it's the creative option, you can use the first person because I'm asking you to tell me what you think. So it's a little bit different than the essay. In fact, most of what we just talked about doesn't apply to this. <laughs> so, sorry. This uh, I just started using last year because we did this book from home because we were all on quarantine. So I, was try I felt a little bit bad about asking people to write an essay when they were stuck in their rooms, essentially, or their houses. So I try to come up with something a little bit more interesting. So in my brain, this is that. A lot of people chose to do this last year, and I got some really good results. You don't have to choose. You can, if, you're, if you're happy with doing a straightforward essay, that's fine. I don't care. But if you choose to do the alternative, this is what this is. Living with Billy Pilgrim. So the idea is uh, how, to do things beyond, how do things beyond our control impact us? Right? This is still happening for many of us right? because of various restrictions, these masks being one. Right? Um, so we talked about this quote. There are almost no characters in this story, almost no dramatic confrontations, because most people in it are so, are so sick and so much the listless playthings of enormous forces, right? I'm sure you felt that at some point when people say you can't go out or you can't go blah, 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 because you're not supposed to, because there are, there are restrictions, right? One of the main effects of war, after all, is that people are discouraged from being characters. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Okay, so... Here's what I wrote last year, and I haven't looked at it since then, so hopefully it makes sense. It seems to me that as a result of this pandemic, we are in a situation very similar to Billy Pilgrim's, right? I mean, we're not in the middle of a war, but things are happening to us that we have no control over, honestly. Um, our lives are structured around the dictates of power to which we have little authentic connection, right? The CDC or whomever says, you can go here, you can't go here. There's not a whole lot we can do about that. I mean, it's better now than it was last year, but still. Uh, our capacity for free choice has been severely limited for our own safety. True, right? And you have people out there protesting about it, right? Uh, the safety of those in close proximity to us and the safety of society as a whole. So that's what I want. That's the sort of frame of mind if you choose to do this one. I want you to put yourself in. This is very similar to Billy Pilgrim. Stuff happens to him. Now, we're not being sent off to war. We're not being firebombed. But still, stuff happens to him that he has no control over. 
So the scenario, Billy Pilgrim is in quarantine within your house with your family. You have to imagine that, right? I put the happy, happy, joy, joy stuff in there. And I continued it. <laughs> so here's your job. While maintaining your sanity, taking care of those around you, and doing your schoolwork, respond to each of Billy's random, disconnected, insightful, and odd ramblings with kindness, respect, understanding, and consideration. So if you choose to do this, here's what you're going to do. You must respond to each of his mumblings with at least 150 words. There are seven, so it's roughly the same length if you choose to do the right, writing as the essay. Or uh, one and a half minutes of speaking audio or video. If you want to record audio or do a little video of yourself responding, you can do that. That's fine. Remember, you want to keep Billy calm while, respond, while when responding to him. You may choose whether you agree or disagree with his statement. In either case, state what you feel, why you feel the way you do. So I want you to try to put yourself in this situation, right? So he's in your house. You don't really know what he's going to do because obviously he's a little bit off, <laughs> right? So you can't, I mean, I don't want you to like just get into a shouting match with him, you know, just like try to consider what he's saying. You don't have to agree with it and respond in a way that seems to make sense. Okay. So here's what I did. I took a picture of various pages from the novel and put them in here. So the first one, um, and I highlighted them. So he, Billy, is in a constant state of stage fright. So imagine he says this to you. I'm in a constant state of stage fright because I never know what part of my life I'm going to have to act in next. So your job is to respond to that in some way. What do you do? Do you talk him down? Do you like say, yeah, I feel that way too? Whatever, I don't care. So think about that, okay? There's seven of these. So the second one is the whole why me thing is, right? That's a very earthling question, Mr. Pilgrim. Why you? Why any of us? Because of this moment. We are here, Mr. Pilgrim, trapped in the amber at this moment. There is no why. So imagine that he just sort of knocks on your door in the middle of the night and like, says this to you. How do you respond? Maybe get out of my room, Billy, but still. Respond to his, 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 what he says. Three. Um, if I hadn't spent, this is again from the Trophimidorians. If I hadn't spent so much, time, so much time studying earthlings, said the Trophimidorians, I wouldn't have any idea what was meant by free will. I visited 31 inhabited planets in the universe and have studied reports on 100 more, and on Earth, only on Earth is there any talk of free will. So if Billy says this to you, this is what he says the alien said to him, how do you respond? You can agree, you can disagree, I don't care, but that's the idea. And we'll go through them all. And I asked myself about the present, how wide it was, how deep it was, and how much was mine to keep? All of these are big ideas about time, because that's what a lot of the questions he's asking. This is when he's on his way to see um, O'Hare in the first chapter with his daughters, and they're crossing the uh, Delaware River, I think, or something. You don't have to give it context. You can just respond to it just as it is right here, okay, if you want to. Just an illusion. We're here on Earth for that one moment follows another, like beads on a string, and that once a moment is gone, it is gone forever. So do you believe that's an illusion? How do you respond to someone who says that to you? Six, are you happy here? About as happy as I was on Earth, which was true. So, how, I mean, has, is that a fair statement? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree? How would you respond to Billy? Because he, you know, he really feels these things. So it doesn't matter whether you agree with him, but you have to sort of be kind to him still. And then the last one, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Same thing. So that's all you do, the end. If you want to do the uh, creative option, that's what it is. You can write, you can do audio recording, you can do video recording. It'll be roughly, if you choose to do the writing, it's probably roughly the same length as the essay. Next, the essay itself, if you choose to do that. Blah, 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 blah. I also put um, 
if you look in the assignment, there's a PDF of this if you want this planning sheet. I'm not going to make an assignment like I have in the last two, but I do have it if it's available to you. If you choose to do this straightforward essay, final essay. So everything I'm going to read here is on this planning sheet. It's just easier to read up there. Please answer one of the following prompts about Slaughterhouse-Five. Your answer must contain specific instances of textual evidence, three for standard students, five for honors, to support your thesis. In addition, you must use proper MLA formatting. So again, if you use the creative option, you don't have to do those things, okay? Because I'm giving you the, the, the textual evidence you're responding to it. First question, this one has a bunch. There are six options. What do you think about Billy Pilgrim? Do you like him? What are some of the more favorable attributes do you dislike him? Again, you're going to respond in a way that's not for your first person, though, right? Do you, how do we feel about him as a character, right? What are some of his least likable attributes? Use specific examples from the text to identify these characteristics of Billy. What is Vonnegut's reason for giving these attributes to Billy? We talked about this, right? He sets Billy up as a hero. I mean, as I said yesterday, if I were to describe to you this, the plot of this book, right, there's this guy who gets drafted into World War II, gets captured, survives the firebombing of Dresden, comes home and becomes successful and lives with his, you know, pretty much happily ever after. Now, that sounds like a pretty straightforward novel, and you would have a certain image in your head of what Billy Pilgrim was. Now, when you read the book, that's not what Billy Pilgrim is, right? Why does he do that? Why does, kind of, why does Vonnegut do that? What is he trying to say? Second, Vonnegut dwells on soldiers in World War II that Billy encounters. He encounters lots of soldiers. We talked about this yesterday with the clothing they wear, how they're described, right? What kind of soldiers appear in the book and why might Vonnegut include them? What is our current view of soldiers and how does that compare to Vonnegut's? So that's an option. Three. Uh, of the three lives Billy is leading, which one of, there's some at the bottom which explains that, which one is most suited to him, right? Why? In which one do you see Billy most comfortable, most articulate, most normal? and comment on why this is so. So the three lives are war, Billy in the war, right? Billy on Chalfamador, and Billy after the war with his wife and kids. So which one of those do you feel like is, he's most comfortable in, and why? That's basically the question. Number four, free will versus fate. We've been talking about this a lot. This is one you can take. This is a bigger sort of philosophical one, right? What is the role of fate and free will in Slaughterhouse-Five? Please, please consider how the Trafalmadorian notion of time and the character of Billy Pilgrim play into these themes. So we talked about this the whole time we've been reading. That's an option. If you like this bigger idea, that's one. This is a great one too, number five, alienation. Many people feel this way probably right now. Alienation can be defined as, among other things, an inability to make connection with other individuals and with society as a whole. Is this an accurate description of Billy Pilgrim? Why or why not? So is he unable to connect to other people and to society? Why or why not? That's the basic question. And then finally, apathy versus passivity. This is a super popular one among teenagers, right? Because <laughs> there's a difference. Apathy and passivity are natural responses to the idea of events that are beyond our control, right? How are the characters in Slaughterhouse-Five passive or apathetic? What is the result of their apathy, both for themselves and for the overall story? Why? So apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Passivity, acceptance of what happens without active response or resistance. Is Billy one of those? Does that, does that describe how this, this novel unfolds? His relationship and the other characters to the story, to the events. So that's the sixth option. And that's the end.
So that's, I know that's a bunch to think about. Um, technically, it won't be due until a week from Sunday. So that's the 2nd of May, believe it or not. And I'll give you at least one day for each cohort. So if you're in here for the four, four days next week, you'll get two days. If you're in here for only two days a week, you'll get one day because I'm just going to do it that way because I don't have to, to work in class. So if you have questions, I can help you. Um, that should be, honestly, time to finish it if you, if you use the time. If you choose not to, then guess what? It turns into homework, and that's your choice, not mine. Um, any questions about any of those things? I know that's a bunch, and I'm sorry, but it's the last big thing we're doing in this class. So I encourage you to choose whatever makes sense to you. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and if you want a hard copy of the, the graphic organizer, I have that up here. Um, I, I really like the, rec the creative option for this one because I think it's a different way to engage with this book, and it's kind of an odd book to begin with. But you know, if you're a person who's of a philosophical mind, a lot of these bigger questions speak to that, like because there's a lot of that going on in this book. So it doesn't matter to me. So I would choose what you feel most comfortable doing. And the big question is, or the big statement is, what you think you will do, <laughs> right? On time, right? That's the thing. If you get it in on time, that's always good. Any questions about that? That's kind of all I was going to go today, except I thought you might have some questions. Um, because we're going to talk about Sarah Kay tomorrow, and then we're done with this book. I'm going to, I can kind of lay out what's going to happen for the rest of the year, but if you don't have specific questions, I'm going to stop recording this, and we can chat. I'm stuck. Okay.